that ministry and that discipleship for your kids on that day. Well, I'm so excited to uh, introduce our speaker for today. His name is Caleb Kaltenbach, and he is a research pastor at Shepherd Church, that's in L.A., and he's the founder of the Messy Grace Group, where he helps churches love and foster community with the LGBTQ individuals without sacrificing their theological convictions. He has a very powerful ministry in that way. He's the author of three books, Messy Truth, God of Tomorrow, and Messy Grace. And in these different books, he actually discusses and talks about his story, and it's a very unique one. He was actually raised in an LGBTQ family, two moms. And by God's grace and mercy, he was converted when he was invited to a church to the loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And he gave himself over to the Lord. And through a series of miraculous events, God used him in his family to actually bring his mom to salvation. And she moved out of that lifestyle and is now living in concert with God's ways and is a testimony of God's wonderful work. And so in those books, he just talks about what it looks like for us to be able as Christians to follow Jesus, to hold to the true convictions of how God has defined marriage, gender, and sexuality, and yet at the same time love that community into the gospel. So he has just been a powerful tool of God's grace and his mercy and his power to the church and especially to that community. So he has a very unique story. If you have an opportunity, just chop it up with him and you'll see just how wonderful of a story that is. Besides speaking, writing, and consulting, Caleb has been guest featured in, uh, you know, places like the New York Times, Fox and Friends. He's been on the Glenn Beck Show. He's been in Eric Metaxas' show. He's been in Christianity Today, Focus on the Family. I could go on and on and on. He is known nationwide as God is using him in this very profound way. He graduated from Ozark Christian College. He graduated from Talbot School of Theology. Amen. Biola. Uh, he received his doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary. And he served as lead pastor and associate pastor of various churches. But above all those different accolades, Caleb, for me, he's little dog. That's what I call him. He call, I call him Lil Dog. And he and I came together years and years ago. It's probably been probably 15, 20 years ago where we came together because we were both church planting through Shepherd Church. And that's where we just developed a bond uh, of just kinship and brotherhood. He's married to his, his, his wonderful wife. They have two children. Uh, and so just a wonderful man who loves God deeply. And I've been powerfully impacted by his ministry and his life. And so... Without any further ado, if we could just give a huge hand clap for Pastor Caleb Kaltenbach. Thank you so much, Ray. Um, I'm going to have Ray do my funeral um, <laughs> if I die first, which the way my wife talks to me, I think I will. Um, Anyway, it's, it's great to be with you. I got to be honest, I was in such a good mood uh, when we were singing songs, and then during the fellowship time, I, I made a huge error in judgment, and I checked the score of the Chiefs game. Um, I know, it's hard for some of you as well. It's hard for me, and now I'm recovering right now. 
uh, from looking at that. And it, it, you did, I root for the Chiefs. Any, any Chiefs fans in here? <laughs> so we have one saved person. No, 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 no. Don't feel ashamed. Whoever gave a whoop for uh, righteousness. Um, it, it's difficult when you live in the land of the wickedness of the Raiders and the 49ers. Um, some of you are like, what, what are you, are you talking about the NBA? Yeah, exactly. I had somebody come up to me. They were trying to relate with me at church, and I, I usually wear Kansas City gear. You can see right here on the back of my phone, we have, there's the cross of Christ, then there's Arrowhead. And, um, like, somebody came up to me. They're like, oh, Kansas City, huh? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, roll tide. <laughs> I just was like, okay. That's not even NFL, but yay you. Your points for trying. Good for you. Good for you. They're like, that's not your chant? I'm like, no, try again. Anyway, um, it's, it's great to be here uh, with you guys, seriously. And I, I love your staff. I love your two pastors right here. They are phenomenal people. Um, give them a hand. Uh, if I lived over here, this is a church I would attend. And I hope that if you're visiting today, that you keep on coming. I hope that you come back on Christmas Day. Um, we're going to be having service at my church as well, you know. So hopefully you guys will uh, be able to return as well. I think that's important. So anyway, um, hey, I, I want, I'm going to ask you a question today, okay? And uh, how many of you like Christmas movies? Let me see. Okay, not everybody voted. We're going to try this again. <laughs> Some of you are acting like, you know, you haven't had your coffee yet. Listen, people, it's 10.07 in the morning. Is that what time it is, 10.07? Is that right? 11.07. Oh, okay, never mind. I took a picture of my phone at 10.07. Never mind, okay. It's 11, it's 11 whatever in the morning. Okay, we're going to try this again. How many of you like Christmas movies? Let me see. Okay, good. And some of you are lying and choosing not to participate still, but we're going to go on with the sermon. I am a big fan of Christmas movies. Now, now, arguably, I think the greatest is It's a Wonderful Life. Like, I just think that that's, see, we've got a clap for that, but not for the Chiefs. Um, I, think, I think It's a Wonderful Life is a phenomenal Christmas movie. Now, there's an argument in the Kaltenbach household as to whether or not this particular movie is a Christmas movie. And whether or not, you see, I think that it is, Okay. And I know that I'm now making some of you biased automatically. But my wife disagrees. My kids disagree. And they're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> I told them that. They're, you'd be wrong on this. But I want to see what kind of people I'm dealing with here this morning. So I'm going to say the name of a movie. Then I'm going to ask you if you think it is a Christmas movie. Okay? And if you do, I need you to raise your hands. Now, how you vote on this will tell me a lot about what you believe about Christmas. Um, and if you don't know, if you don't know this movie, that's not my fault. That's your fault. This is where I gaslight you from the stage. Okay? It's your fault, not mine. You've had your whole life to watch this, and you haven't. Die Hard. Is this a Christmas movie? Okay, some of you are not saved. Now listen, listen. Listen, listen. Okay, yes, Die Hard happens on Christmas Eve. It is a Christmas movie, okay? John McClane, his first name begins with a J, so does Jesus. First name <laughs> begins with a J, okay? 
Jesus was sent into the world to save people. John McClain was sent into Nakatomi Tower to save people. Right? Do we not see the themes of redemption and resurrection here? I see them all over the place. Gosh, we have work to do here. You guys didn't tell me this. We have work to do here. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, you, you go home and you watch Die Hard today. That's your assignment between now and next Sunday when you're back. You watch Die Hard and then you talk. Is this a Christmas movie? It is. Just to let you know. That's the correct answer. So is Lethal Weapon, but that's a whole nother sermon. Okay. Today, I want to tell you about one of my favorite Christmas memories. Have you ever had a memory where uh, you, you, you think about it and it's so fun, but when you were actually in the midst of that situation, it was not fun? Anybody have a memory like that? There's a Christmas like that. So I, when I was growing up, as, as uh, Pastor Ray said, I was raised by uh, uh, two lesbians and, and my dad w- was gay too. And uh, he lived in Columbia, Missouri. My mom's lived in uh, Kansas City. Uh, My mom was a professor. Her partner was a psychologist. My dad was a professor, uh, a.k.a. we didn't have a lot of money. As a matter of fact, I remember that there were were days like where my dad really didn't know what we would really have for dinner. And I remember one time my dad got a little extra money, and he was so proud to be able to take me to McDonald's when I was a kid. Like, he was so excited that he was able to do that for me, you know. And I just remember just the, the, the excitement. And so this one Christmas, I got in my head where I just thought my dad could afford, like, a classic Nintendo. I don't know if any of you remember, like, OG Nintendo, like, when video games were good. I mean, back in the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's when we had Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. That's when we had Duck Hunt. That's right. You can go like that. I never beat Mike Tyson, by the way. Never once. Other people did. And they had codes where you could cheat. I never did that. I fought my way through. So did Popinski, all the way up to Sandman, and all the way up to Tyson, and I always lost. Anyway, I had one at my mom's house, and I was begging my dad to give me a Nintendo classic Nintendo set, like the first one in the mid-80s when it came out. And so, and so I was so excited. What, you know, we, we went to um, a Christmas service. I was in elementary school. I was an altar boy. My dad took me to church every now and then when he felt guilty. We usually went on Christmas Eve, and I had to put on all the robes, and, and that was the night that I almost set the American flag on fire. Uh, yeah, that's a fun story, I'll tell you real quick. So, like, that very night, I'm wearing all the robes, and it gets hot underneath those robes, and I'm holding the scepter with a flame, and the American flag is right here, and I'm standing in front, and it's just getting closer, it's just getting closer, and I'm like dozing off, and somebody had to come wake me up, and I'm, oh, you know, get the flame away from, you know, the the American flag, so now I can still run for office, but seriously, back in the day, like, it, I was, I was so excited that Christmas. Not only did I not burn down the church, but when we got home, I had been asking and begging my dad all December for a Nintendo, and I just knew I was going to get it. So I went to bed, and I woke up in the morning, and my dad was still asleep, and that was always, you talk about traditions. The tradition was you let the parents sleep, and then when they get up, then you can open up. You know, some people are like, oh, I'm going to mommy and daddy's bed. No, 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 no. 
don't poke the bear. That's what I learned. And so I would go in to the living room and I would look at my presence. And so I went in there and there was like one presence just right in the middle of the living room by the tree. Just one. And it was a square. You know the, the kind of medium-sized square uh, Kleenex boxes? That's what it looked like. And I just thought, I don't think that's a Nintendo. Um, because, you know, like, we, we didn't even have Game Boy back then when I wanted this. Like, um, you know, nowadays you could put this in there and it's like, oh, it's a Nintendo on the phone. Okay. Back then, that wouldn't happen unless you mushed it and threw it all in there. And I picked it up and it wasn't that heavy. And I was like, oh, this is not a Nintendo. And I, and I, went, to, and I went back in bed and I was just in the worst mood. I didn't show my dad that when I got up in the morning, but I was just in the, in, in the worst mood. And here's why I was in the worst mood. I was like, this is not what I expected. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I thought was going to happen. Because let's be honest, we all have our expectations for Christmas, right? We all have our expectations of how we want people to act, of what we, when we want people to come over. We have expectations of when they need to leave, Right? Some of you are like, I can't say that because they're already here right now. We have expectations of what we want to get and what we, you know, give people. We have expectations even of how people are going to react when they see our gift, you know. I, my wife, I'm getting her something this year, and I really hope she likes it because if she doesn't, I'm in big trouble. Anyway, like, we all have these expectations for Christmas. And, and here's, here's what I've learned in life, and Many of you have learned this, and if you haven't learned this, you're going to get the joy of learning this for the rest of your life, okay? Um, you hardly ever get exactly what you want in life. You hardly ever. Like, I remember when I graduated from college, I had plans of what I wanted to do. Didn't happen. We've all had plans. We've all had dreams. And then reality hits. And I'm not saying you shouldn't dream. You keep on dreaming. But then reality hits. And then you have to decide, what are you going to do with reality? What are you going to do with this tension of what you hoped would happen, what did happen, and here you are stuck in the middle? You know, um, Dr. Uh, Henry Cloud, Dr. John Townsend defined integrity as the willingness to meet the demands of reality. And so I think to myself, man, what do you do when reality hits? Because this Christmas, I guarantee you, things will happen to some of you, and you will not be expecting it. Like, we, we have, uh, at, at our church, we have a family on our staff, woke up on Friday morning, and their 14-month-old daughter had died in the middle of the night. They still don't know why. In the middle of the night, 14-month-old daughter just gone. He put a post on Instagram, the father did, where he said, I'm staring at your presence under the tree and I just don't know what to do. Now, hopefully, something like that doesn't happen to you, but we all have issues, especially around the holidays. That's why, that's why suicidality, suicidation is so huge in holidays. Because people feel loneliness, people feel the despair, people feel like they're alone. And I'm not trying to depress you. Yeah, hopefully we're going to leave here feeling joyful. Trust me, you're like, oh, I'm glad they invited Caleb. 
<laughs> throw a wet blanket over Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, but seriously, what do you do when reality doesn't match up to what you dreamed, to what you hoped? Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to read to you one, uh, I, I, want to, I want to start reading to you one of my favorite Christmas passages in the Bible, okay? And it's one of these passages where I guarantee you, it does not, it's not going to seem like a Christmas passage to some of you. Do you know that on our tree, my wife hates this, by the way, which makes me want to do it all the more. Not because I, you know, want her to get mad at me, but because I like the annoyance. You know, every year at Christmas, I put a red dragon on our tree. And she's like, that's not Christmas. I said, read Revelation 20, honey. Jesus disagrees. She's like, she's like, what? what do you mean? I said, Revelation 12. Okay, red dragon, that's Christmas, you know, coming down, escape to Egypt. Ah. She's like, that's not Christmas. I said, no, 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 trust me. She's like, well, I know. I went to a Christian college called Westmont. We study the Bible there. And I said, well, I went to Biola. She's like, oh, the Bible Institute of Lower Achievers. I said, well, we didn't just study the Bible. We believe in it. So there are some Christmas passages, they don't seem like Christmas passages. As a matter of fact, you need to ask one of your pastors some Christmas to preach on Revelation 12. That's a great Christmas passage, by the way. It is. So you're like, no, it's not. You're disagreeing with Jesus, not me, okay? Now, here's where I want to go. Matthew chapter 1, and you're like, oh, this is a Christmas passage, right? Verse 1, maybe not a Christmas passage. Let's find out. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of, of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of, you know. I don't know if you've ever dug around in some of the Old Testament family trees, but um, you just got to let the syllables do the work for you with some of the names. But we're going to stop right there because, look, I can go on for the next 16 verses reading names. How many of you have ever read this, this chapter before, this, this, these verses? Okay, now I want you to tell the truth. How many of you have really actually read this? Tell the truth, shame the devil, okay? Here, here's why I say this. Because this is what we do. When we are in our yearly Bible reading plans, you get to, like, chapters in Second Chronicles. Sound familiar? You get to chapters like this, and you're like, oh, there's a bunch of names. Done. <laughs> I guarantee, just tell the truth. You've done that. So when you say that you've read this, you're kind of like, yeah, I've seen it. Okay, well, I've seen the Statue of Liberty too. I haven't seen it in person yet, but I've seen it. Okay, some of us have just seen this. But I'm going to tell you, the first 17 verses of this, of this chapter is one of the greatest Christmas passages that you could ever read. And some of you, you really, you're, you're Bible nerds. You love Bible nerd nuggets. And you're like, hmm, this is interesting. Tell me more. 
Look at verse 17. How about that? Let's just skip. I'm going to give you a pass on this time, okay? Let's skip all the way to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. 14, 14, 14. 14 times 3. That's how many different names are in this passage right here. That's how many different people and generations that we are talking about. You see, back in the first century, back in Jesus's day, you, they didn't have resumes like some of you have. Some of you might be looking for a job. Some of you may have just started one. You might be polishing off your resume for something. Uh, okay, but back in the first century, they didn't have those. So your genealogy, that was your resume. That said a lot about who you were, where you come from, and what you would become. Now, when you read the Gospels, there are four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Jesus has two different genealogies. You're like, how in the world is that possible? Very simple. He had two parents. Well, you know, he had Joseph, adopted parent, right? And then he had Mary. Matthew chapter 1 is Mary's genealogy. Or, sorry, is Joseph's genealogy. Matthew chapter 1 is Joseph's genealogy. Luke chapter 3 is Mary's genealogy. Two different genealogies. Look very, very similar. But when people really paid attention, th this was a very much of a pharisaical, patriarchal, male-dominated society in the first century, and they really valued the father's genealogy above everything else because that in their minds, was who you would become. Okay? I remember when I was in college, any of you remember your college jobs? Those of you who are out of college, or maybe you didn't go, but maybe out of high school and you started working somewhere. Anybody remember, you know, jobs right when you're out of high school? Okay, my first job was in Iowa while I was in high school. I was at, for a summer theater. They needed a kid. Uh, I lived in Okaboji, Iowa, for the summer, I don't ever recommend going there. <laughs> don't. Like, if you had a choice between Hawaii and Okaboji, Iowa, go to Hawaii. That's my advice, okay? Then I worked at Taco Bell, the mecca of fast food, which I still love and pay homage to on a <laughs> weekly basis, and my wife doesn't know it because I pay cash. And then... <laughs> I, I, I started working at a hospital cafeteria. When I was in college, I had several different, I, I was a preschool teacher for a while, aid, and that just didn't work out well for obvious reasons. Um, I scared the children. I didn't even mean to. I just walked in the classroom, which, I mean, I think I, they looked at me and they thought a goblin had entered <laughs> the classroom. And so when I, when I was a senior, I applied for a job at the Disney store. Okay, any of you remember the Disney store back when they had Disney stores? I, still, I think they still have some of them. Maybe, uh, I think in the Galleria over in Glendale or something, maybe they have one. They have some in the, they have one in the Camarillo outlets. But I mean, dude, I, it was between me and, you know, the stay-at-home mom. And I'm just an arrogant punk in college. And I'm like, oh, I got this. And so here's the interview. They're like, so tell us, what does Disney mean to you? Well, this was not in any of the videos that I checked out, what they would be asking. And they're like, if you had to describe yourself with one Disney character, who would it be? And this was before Disney ruined Star Wars. They didn't own Star Wars yet, okay? And I didn't know. 
Like, I had seen Disney stuff. And they said, who do you see yourself as, sir? And I'm like, I, 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 I said, uh, Mufasa. <laughs> They're like, why? And I'm like, he's cool. Yep. Yeah, I didn't get the job. Because I didn't have what it took to be able to work in the Disney store, according to them. And so somebody would look at Jesus' genealogy, and they would be like, is this guy the son of, 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 of God? Is this guy the Messiah? Is this guy going to be the king? And so they look in here, and they're like, okay, well, he's got David in here. Because Jesus did have David, if you look in verse 6. You know? I mean, so, I mean, like, but a lot of people had David in their genealogy, but... You look in here, and not only did he have David, but, whoa, okay, look, look also in verse 6. Um, you know, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Like, they don't even say her name in there. We all know her name, right? Say it with me. Bathsheba. Say it with me. Bathsheba. Right? She didn't even make it in here. Okay. Oh, dude, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 real quick. Look at that. Rahab. Ooh. Anybody know the story about Rahab? Book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 6, helped out the spies. She had a brothel, put down a scarlet cord so nobody would touch her house and they would leave her family alone when, when the Israelites invaded Jericho. But she's still a prostitute, right? You keep on reading down here. Dude, look at verse 10. There's Manasseh. Do you know how bad Manasseh is? Manasseh, that guy, I mean, good night. That guy makes Stalin look like a preschooler. Do you know that he was responsible for killing the prophet Isaiah, having him sawn in half? Or you, go, you keep on going down through here, and you have just, you know, Jeconiah, you have different uh, individuals who just were not good people. They were not people that you would invite to the family reunion if you even went. These were not people that you would think are the righteousness of God. And yet, it's through these people that God brought about the first coming of the Messiah, the first coming of the King. Through all these three, you know, you know kind of sections of, of 14 generations. And the Messiah came. And the Messiah came. And he did not come as they expected. Because you think about the first century. Here's what the Romans wanted. They wanted the Messiah to come as a kingly soldier. Kind of like a David. Kind of like a Joshua. To come in there and to drive out the Romans who they believed were and were illegally occupying the land of Judea. They wanted them to come in. <clears throat> they wanted them to drive them out and to set up his reign right then and there physically. Read Psalm chapter 2. And you will see that they used that in the first century. They're like, this is what it's going to be like. And yet when Jesus came, how did he come? First of all, he was born in scandal. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. No, he was. Like, how do you think the conversation with Joseph and Mary went? 
How do you think that went? You ever thought about that? Because like the, Gabriel visited Mary first in Luke chapter 1 and then skipped Joseph for a little bit to heighten the drama, I guess. You know, from God's like, why haven't you gone down there yet? Gabriel said, no, no, watch, watch, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because she's like, I'm pregnant. Joseph was like, huh? An angel came to me and I woke up pregnant. Joseph's like, sure. I'm sure that's exactly what happened. Because when you were engaged to somebody in the first century, that, in Jewish culture, that was just like being married. That was like being married. You were married to that person in the eyes of everybody. And so she was an adulteress. She could have been killed. And what I think is interesting is you read further on down in, in Matthew chapter 1, and it says that Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly because he still cared about her. And then an angel appeared to Joseph, and then Joseph's like, okay, Mary, I got to apologize, and whoa, let's talk about this. Let's gossip. Let's compare notes. Because Gabriel basically told him the same exact thing. Nobody expected the, the king, the Messiah king, to be born into scandal. Nobody expected the Messiah king to be born to two young kids. Nobody expected the Messiah king to be born outside Nobody expected the Messiah King, his first bed to be a trough, where cows and horses, not pigs, ate. Nobody expected that. And yet, that's what they got. And even though that's not what they expected, the King of the universe came into existence. And no officials... No world leaders were given invitations to the birth. There's no birth announcement sent out to the world leaders. Instead, you had shepherds come. Shepherds in the first century, nobody liked them. It would be the equivalent of working for the IRS today. If your friend says, I've, I just got a job at the IRS, you're like, oh, hey, stay over there. God bless you. But nobody liked shepherds, and yet that's who the attendants were. And you look at, again, verse 17. It says, So in all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. 14, 14, 14. Do you know that when you look at Hebrew letters and Greek letters, each letter has a numeric value? Which is really, really cool. There's like English letters. Bleh. But back in those days, there's a numeric value to every single name. Here's what's really interesting. You know who the center of this genealogy is? Look at verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. David is the center of this genealogy. Do you know the, the numeric value of his name in Hebrew? 14. You see, this resume, this genealogy is saying that Jesus came, and he didn't just come as a baby born outside to young, unassuming, inexperienced parents who were still teenagers he didn't just come as somebody born in scandal. He didn't just come homeless. No, Jesus came 
as king. And some of us, we listen to Handel's Messiah. Maybe you read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for us... For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Peace, uh, ever, uh, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that is the king that was born outside to a bunch of inexperienced parents. It was not the way that everybody expected the first Christmas to go, but it is exactly how God planned the first Christmas to go. Because despite what everybody wanted, God still provided exactly what was needed at the time it was needed in the way that it was needed. Hear me when I say this, okay? This Christmas this next year, 2023, there are going to be a lot of things that happen that you don't expect and that you don't want. Okay? Life always delivers unexpected news. Okay? We may not always get what we want, but God consistently provides what we need. We often don't get what we want, but God never fails to give us exactly what we need, when we need it, at the right time. It may not feel like it to us, but it is the truth. We don't always get what we want. If I got what I wanted, my life would look different right now, people. Okay, my life would look different. I would have hair plugs, okay, <laughs> that you couldn't tell were hair plugs. Look, before I had children, I used to look like Matthew McConaughey. And then I had children, and this happened right here, okay? So those of you who don't have kids, this is what you have to look forward to right here. I tell my children all the time, I said, look at this. One day you're going to look like this. My son's like, where's the nearest window I can jump out of? <laughs> Such a precious child. See, life doesn't dull out what we want. God will always provide what we need at just the right time. Why? Because he is the Savior King. Christmas didn't happen the way everybody thought it would. Just like this year, Christmas may not happen the way you think it should or the way that you want it. But when your focus is on God, and when you are worshiping him, when you're celebrating with him, I guarantee you that you will have the most joyous Christmas despite what happens. Notice I didn't say you will always feel happy, but you will have the most joyous because joy surpasses our current circumstances. Remember how I said in the very beginning, my dad gave me this gift. Well, eventually my dad woke up in the morning and I went and I got this gift. Um, and I had saved up my money and got my dad a couple things and I didn't know what it was and I was really, really disappointed. And so eventually... My dad, you know, let me open up that present, and I opened it up, and it was a it was a piggy bank. It was not like a literal pig, though. It was like this this bank with these knobs on it right here that you would turn, and it would open it up and everything. And I was like, "Oh, this this is interesting. Thank you, Dad." And then 
in the split second, it dawned on me. It dawned on me, and I remember that my dad, he really just didn't have a ton of money. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure he probably didn't really have any money to get me anything for Christmas. And so this had looked familiar, and I remembered where I saw it. You see, I had seen it in my dad's bedroom. My dad had told me a long time ago that his father had given it to him, and his grandfather had given it to his dad. And now he was giving it to me. And, and it dawned on me that my dad, he didn't really have anything to get me anything that I wanted at that time. And so what did he do? He went into his room and he took the very best thing, the best treasure that he could find that belonged to him. And he gave it to me to show me his love. And in that moment... I felt ashamed, which is not that bad, <laughs> but I also felt grateful because my dad gave me the very best that he could from himself in that moment. And that's why it's one of my favorite Christmas memories because I always remember that Christmas morning. I always remember the look in his eye and how happy he was when I was excited, when I realized what had happened and I was excited to get it and he felt accomplished, he felt like, yes, I got him something he wanted. You see, that's what God did. God saw us in our sin. God saw us not knowing what to do. And so God said, I'm going to take my very best and it's not going to be what you expect. And it's not going to be this, this Alexander the Great conquering king that I'm going to take and throw at the Romans. I'm going to send, give you my own son, and he's going to come in humility, and he's going to come in love, but he is still going to come as the king, and I'm going to give him to you, and the governments will be on his shoulders, and he will save Israel. He will save all people from their sins, and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us, and his throne will know no end and he will be coming from the line of David that is the very best that I can give you and when people realize this as it says in John chapter 1 that God gave them the right to be adopted into the family of God to be called the children of God and yet there are those who saw Jesus and said we reject that because that's not what we wanted and yet they forget God hardly ever ever Life hardly ever gives us what we want. God gives us, he provides what we need. And every time I think about that Christmas memory, I think about the Christmas story. Every time I think about my dad's sacrifice, I think about God's sacrifice for us, for giving us his son, even though he knew what we would do to his son, he still gave his son. And so this Christmas may not be what you expect. I mean, come on. The last two years have not been what any of us have expected, right? Hello. But I can tell you, this is going to be what all of us need. One way or another, God will provide. God works everything out for the good of those who love him. That means you, that means me, and that means the people that are not here yet, but will follow God in the future. And how we live this Christmas means all the difference to those people. People are watching. The king has come. The king is here. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this passage of scripture, Father. And honestly, Lord, 
there are a lot of things that weigh on my heart this Christmas. There's a lot. There's a lot of unknowns even in my own life. But Father, I know that you are the king. And I know that you are on your throne. That you are ruling. And even if we don't realize it right now, Father, you are still in charge. You are sovereign. You are powerful. The first Christmas was the most beautiful Christmas. And Father, I pray that we would focus on you this Christmas. We would see you as the king that provides exactly what we need. Not always how we want, but exactly what we need. When we need it and how we need it. In your son's name I pray. Amen.